This uh, spring, our, our small group's been going through Matthew's Gospel, but as we've done it, we've been watching a DVD, which gives us both a reading, word-for-word reading of Matthew's Gospel, and as well, it's acted out for us. So I'm just going to invite you to sit back and enjoy Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother... Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me as a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called a crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth? does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? (laughs) Jesus asked them, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands (laughs) 
does not make him unclean. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, David, have mercy on me! My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession! Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord. She said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we find enough bread in such a remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven. They replied, and A few small fish. to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. 
They all ate and were satisfied. picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Well, I hope that helped you to visualize uh, the chapter we're looking at here this morning. You know, it's good to have Pastor Dave back in church here today. He's been in Africa. He had a chance to go back and see some of his wife's roots in South Africa. And, and you know, he got to see, I said in the first serve, lions and tigers. Well, you don't see tigers in, in South Africa, but he saw lions and elephants. And, and they even watched a boa constrictor swallow a rabbit. I don't know if that excites you. I, I kind of like to watch it at a fair distance. And I just assume that uh, boa constrictors stay in other countries. We have rattlesnakes, and that's enough, isn't it? You know, I was going to introduce myself as uh, Harry Bicknell. I'm the oldest pastor on staff here. And I really felt that way this morning because I'm listening to him do that, Dave, do the announcements about the man date. I listened to Colton say that four or five times. I just thought it was mandate. I didn't realize it was a man date. <laughs> The lights went on. The lights went on. In fact, that was actually my prayer this morning. I didn't think God would answer that way. That, you know, we all have blind spots in our lives. And, and I know I have some. And I think that in the study of today's text, I've had a bit of a, a blind spot removed. But I wasn't thinking I would just be over a wordplay. Anyways, I trust that if you have blind spots, that they will be removed as we look at this passage, what it has to say about faith here today. And yes, this passage has a lot to say about a lot of things, like it, certainly the importance of Scripture. Boy, Scripture is authoritative to Jesus, and he never wants us to nullify the Word of God through maybe the latest book out there, or as in the case of the Pharisees, the traditions of the elders. We never want to nullify the clear teachings of scripture. This passage certainly also teaches us something about the importance of faith. In fact, I meant to say the heart. <laughs> Boyfriends, we all live from the heart. I think Jesus makes that so clear. Everything we do ultimately is coming from our heart because our heart is the center of our spirit from which flows our, our actions and our thoughts, and all our behavior. That's why in the Old Testament, the father said to the son, son, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. So doesn't that encourage us to pray that heart, that great prayer that David taught us in the Old Testament? Oh, Lord, create in me a clean heart. 
And of course, that's what Jesus is wanting for us. He wants to do a great work in our inner being so that we'll have good fruit on the outside. But this passage certainly teaches us something about the importance of faith. And that's what I want to focus in on here this morning by looking at Jesus' encounter with the Canaanite woman as found in verses 21 to 28. So if you give me 22 minutes, I'll share a short message from these verses of Scripture. In verse 21, we read that Jesus left Israel, yes, left the country of Israel for the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Yes, on the Mediterranean coast, just north of Israel. In the New Testament times, these two regions, or more specifically cities, were part of the country of Phoenicia, which is now today modern-day Lebanon. Now, before going to these regions of Tyre and Sidon, Jesus was doing ministry in and around the Lake of Galilee. And by the way, the Sea of Galilee is about 35 miles from Tyre and 60 miles away from Sidon. Quite a significant journey, especially if you're walking on foot. (laughs) But why? Why would Jesus leave this great ministry that he has going on in Galilee to go to these regions where there weren't many Jewish people? And remember, he came to the lost sheep of Israel. I kind of thought to myself, did he need a break from the Pharisees? They were always coming up to him, trying to trick him into saying something wrong or doing something wrong so they could accuse him. I don't know if he felt overly harassed by them or not. (laughs) Possibly, but more likely, he went to those regions because it was his father's will for him. You know, he moved around perfectly, doing everything that his father asked him to do and I think what really what was taking place here in this Gentile region, non-Jewish region, was really have here, friends, a foretaste, a foretaste uh, of what God's ultimately going to do. He's going to go into all the world with using his disciples to spread the good news. So this is really a foretaste of what is going to happen after Christ had been risen from the dead. Now of note, in the Old Testament, we are told that Canaanites lived in Tyre and Sidon. So we shouldn't be surprised that a Canaanite woman came to Jesus for help. Yes, a desperate Canaanite woman who was crying out, apparently repeatedly, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. What did she mean when she called Jesus Lord? Something she does, by the way, three times in this passage. You know, in the New Testament, the word Lord can have a wide range of meaning. Firstly, it can be used as simply a beautiful term of respect, much like we use the word sir. People use the word Lord. But also the word took on new meaning in the New Testament times, and it became to mean master. People called Jesus Lord. They were referring to him as their master, especially his disciples. But furthermore, the word Lord could also be used in our New Testament to signify the God of the Old Testament, who Hebrews, most people, Hebrew people would say, pronounce Yahweh. And I think great significance to us is that when New Testament writers quote the Old Testament referring to Yahweh, they are now applying it to Jesus. One example was the day of Pentecost, and where Peter quotes from the book of Joel, that great passage, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, yes, Yahweh, will be saved. And then he applies that to Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, yes, Jesus, Lord, he will be saved. Anyways, when the woman, the Canaanite woman, referred to Jesus as Lord, 
She was most certainly using it as a sign of respect, but possibly more had taken place in her life, and I'll come back to this later. But it seems like there's more going on in her life than meets the eye because she also addresses Jesus as what? The son of David. And everyone knew that that was a messianic term. Yes, the long-awaited Messiah promised in the Old Testament who appeared in the New. Yes, the one who was going to be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, who was going to be called Emmanuel, God with us, as the prophet Isaiah writes. He's the one that's going to fulfill the promises made even in the book of Genesis to Abraham. Remember that great promise? Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. And now that has been fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Yes, he was the one who's going to take care of our sins, the sins of the whole world, Isaiah 53. And he was also the one who was going to have this great healing ministry, Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 35. They knew that when the Messiah come, came, he would have a healing ministry. Which leads me to ask, how did this desperate woman come to such a profound understanding of Jesus that she would actually expect him to heal her daughter who was suffering terribly? You know, we cannot be sure, but obviously someone had told her what Jesus was doing in the country of Israel. Someone caught me after the first service and said, you know what, had she already come to faith? You know, good news spreads. And we're told that repeatedly in the New Testament that everyone was hearing about Jesus. So possibly someone had come to her and she had already countered Christ by faith. No, she didn't see him, but she was believing in this person. And of note here, friends, in the city of Sidon, there was this great historic temple. And it was a temple to the god of Ishman, who was, in fact, the god of healing. But this lady wasn't going to the god of Eshman in his great temple. She was coming to the person of Jesus. Jesus, however, did not respond to her initial request. As we read in verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. The disciples, however, were getting really irritated at her repeated calling out to Jesus. And they said, Lord, would you send her away? We're annoyed. And of course, Jesus didn't respond to them either. He just basically said again, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Yes, I was sent to my own people. That's the primary focus of my ministry. Yes, I come to seek and save the lost. And the ministry begins in my own nation. But as you saw in this film and in the reading today, the woman in this story was not to be deterred. Possibly she already had great faith. She was so looking forward to meeting Jesus. And she came before him and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Now Jesus responds directly to this lady. And he says something that kind of shocks us at first. He says, it's not right. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus was repeating a common Jewish view of Gentiles. Yes, that they were dogs. And you have to say, why would Jesus say that? Because he's always portrayed as someone who is so incredibly compassionate. Personally, I have come to believe that Jesus was leading this lady on. He knew what was going on in her heart. 
Maybe he knew that she was also a follower already. And he also knew that she had the faith to ask him to heal her daughter. Yes, could it be, in the words of F.F. Bruce, that Jesus had a twinkle in his eye when he spoke these words, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs, which allowed her to respond in such a witty, faithful way. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, I know your mission is first of all to your own people, and I don't want to rob them of their blessing, but I just want a little bit of blessing extended my way. Well, friends, to such faith, Jesus couldn't say no. In fact, his own words here, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Isn't it interesting in Matthew's gospel how Gentiles are exhibiting the most faith? Think back in chapter 8 when there was this Roman centurion living in around Capernaum. And he comes, he sends a servant to Jesus to ask him to heal his servant who was suffering. And, and, and the Roman centurion basically says, I don't, you're not, I'm not even worthy for you to come in under my roof. Just say the word. And of course, Jesus responds back, oh, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. Friends, Jesus rewards faith. He loves it when we demonstrate faith in our lives And I think this passage is challenging us to be people of faith who respond at faith in every circumstance of our lives. So exactly what is faith? I am sure there is better definitions of faith, but this is the best that I can do. Let me read it twice. Faith is believing what God has revealed about himself in creation, in his word, and in his son, Jesus Christ. Furthermore, faith is living out what God has revealed about himself and his will for us so that we can grow in our relationship with him. That is always the end result of faith is that we're coming closer to the one we call God. So faith is believing what God has revealed about himself in creation. And what does he reveal about himself in creation? That he's awfully powerful, And most certainly did these tremendously creative. You know, 48 of us recently had a chance to go to Butchart Gardens. What a display of God's creativity and the creativity that he's passed on to us that allows people to create such beautiful gardens. The many different varieties of just tulips absolutely blew me away. Creation speaks of God's power and his creativity. But faith is also believing about what God has revealed in his word, about who he is. And that would be a lengthy, lengthy series. But let me just say this. As I read through the Bible, two themes really come out to me. And one is this. God loves righteousness. God loves goodness. Conversely, boy, this really stands out. God hates wickedness. God hates sins because it hurts people who have been created in his image. And ultimately, friend, faith is believing what God has revealed about himself in his son, Jesus Christ. And if we learn anything about Jesus, it's this, 
that God loves us so much that he would send his son to die on a Roman cross so that we could be reconciled to him? Yes, forevermore. God is love. And then I say in this definition here, furthermore, faith is living out what God has revealed about himself and his will for us. And in fact, James would say, if there's no response, then really we don't have faith. Our faith is dead. It needs to be revived. When God speaks to us, he's looking for a response. He's looking for a faith response so that we'd actually grow in our relationship to him. Now, most certainly, living by faith is a dynamic experience. It doesn't just go up like this. It's usually filled with moments like this, right? And that was certainly true in the disciples' life. For Jesus, even in this film today, did you notice that? Are you so dull? And he often said to his disciples, uh, Oh, you of little faith. And I don't know if you picked up on how this producer depicted those scenes. Jesus is not sternly saying to them, Oh, you're so dull, or you of little faith. He's actually smiling. And of course, that's an artistic license there, but somehow I believe that's the way Jesus did it because he so loved the people he was rebuking. Here's an example of disciples' inability to learn quickly. And if I was there, I would have been the same. There's a contrast going on in chapter 14 and 15 of Matthew. In chapter 14, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, not including children and, 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 and their wives. And that takes place in chapter 14. And yes, he did it with two fish and what, a few loaves? Excuse me, five, five loaves and two fish. But the disciples didn't learn because you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think that they'd be asking a question maybe a few weeks later, and this is the question they were asking when Jesus was about to feed 4,000. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Rather, I'm sure Jesus was really hoping that they would be saying, Oh, Lord, I remember two weeks ago when you fed 5,000. We're looking forward to see what you're going to do today with seven loaves. I know there's only 4,000 men here, but this is going to be exciting. But, of course, Jesus didn't get that response from his disciples, did he? Friends, obviously, a life of faith is marked by ups and downs. Is that your experience? It sure is mine. Friends, this story of the Canaanite woman has challenged me to grow in my faith. I've been looking at this text for three weeks. And the more I look at it, the more I hear Jesus saying to me, why don't you grow up in regards to your faith? Could it be that in the last quarter of your life, your faith could get stronger, your convictions about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be so strong that you would just would cause you to live them out more naturally wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whatever your age. As I close this morning, I'd like just to reflect a little bit on how does God stretch us? How, how does he build faith in our lives? You know, I asked someone this week over breakfast, and the very first thing that came out of this person's mouth was trials and tribulations. Oh, I didn't want to hear that, but I know it. 
When we're up against it, it seems like we turn to God in a more meaningful way and we learn to trust. Recently, uh, I was sitting in a, a Bible study and Ralda Evans uh, shared with the group that listening to testimonies growing up in her church, and apparently that was part of their liturgy, they had a testimony every Sunday, and that was something that really strengthened her faith to see what God was doing in the lives of other people. And you know, I have to certainly agree with Ralta because most recently, or this over this last while, I've been in dialogue with one of you who've been telling me what God has done in you and through you in the most difficult of circumstances. And, and when I heard that story, my response was, this is nothing less than a miracle. And I hope you get a chance to hear this story one day. But anyways, in closing, I'd like to wrap up with three things that I think really help us to grow in our faith. And the first one is this, and maybe it's pretty obvious, but why not ask God for greater faith? Ask God for greater faith. Does not Jesus instruct us to ask for things in keeping with his will? As we read in 1 John, for example, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. That's quite a promise, isn't it? So if we know that Jesus wants us to have greater faith, then I think it's pretty safe that we should be asking him for that and that we can expect him to give us opportunities to grow in our faith. Or at the very least, I love that story in Mark's gospel where Jesus is asking this fellow if he believes. Because he's asking Jesus to heal his son and the person says, oh, I believe. And then he gets really honest and he says, but Lord, would you help my unbelief? Well, I, I think we can all relate to that, can't we? There is this unbelief going on us, even as we, we say, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. I think that's a very safe prayer to pray. Friends, if we want to grow in our faith, we should ask for it. Ask that you develop faith in us so that everywhere we go, we're living by faith. Secondly, I think we can develop our faith by keeping ourselves in God's word. Like when we read the word, it calls us to faith, right? It's a faith book. Furthermore, I think when we read the Bible, we're challenged and encouraged by the many examples of faith. I think that's why we need to keep reading that Old Testament because there's such great stories of faith. Friends, in light of the fact that I think we all have something going on inside of us that draws us away from faith, Doubt's part of the human experience, right? Unbelief is part of the human experience. And also in light of the fact that there are voices in our culture always calling us away from faith, we really do need a steady diet of God's word that keeps calling us to live by faith. Thirdly, we can develop our faith by being well, by, by speaking words of faith into real-life situations. No one's ever worried in this room, right? <clears throat> you know when I get most anxious? It's when I'm working with technology. This frust frustration level starts going up in me, and my family knows it. 
just give me the remote, they'll say to me, you know. I'm going to try not to do that again. There's a blind spot in my life. But often we worry about material things. And often it's about the basic necessities of life. And Jesus calls that worry. And friends, when we do, Jesus has a solution for us. He has the antidote. And it's found in the 33rd verse of Matthew chapter 6 where he says, seek first his kingdom, his reign in your life, and his righteousness. Yes, the teachings of Christ. And all these things, yes, the basic necessities of life will be given to you as well. Friends, I think we should really learn to be just so thrilled with the basic necessities of life. I'm so encouraged by this verse in 1 Timothy that says, oh, by the way, you brought nothing into this world, Harry, and you're taking nothing out of it. Nothing with you is leaving. So everything we have, we need to use for good purposes, for kingdom purposes, and yes, enjoy what God has given us. Words of faith, friends, are a wonderful antidote to our tendency towards worry and fear and doubt. Another example. Regret is part of the human experience. Sometimes we regret something we've said. Sometimes we regret something we've done. Or maybe for most of us, regret something that we failed to do. You know the good we know we ought to do? And, And I think in those moments, friends, sometimes we need to apologize first. But I also think we need to get ourselves back on track. And the way I find very helpful for me to get myself back on track is to simply declare words of faith. And I love this particular verse from Paul's letter to the Philippians where he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Yes, God's going to complete, Harry, the good work he started in you. And one day you will not have regrets. Friends, I believe there's a faith response to everything we face in this life. And now just one more example and I'll wrap up. In her song, You Say, Lauren Daigle gives a great example of how to speak words of faith, especially when you're struggling with your identity. And you know, we all know that that's a big teenage issue, our identity, but I think it's an adult issue as well. Here are some of the words to her song. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I am not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. And we all need to know who we are. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. Friends, what God thinks about us is more important than our feelings. And he says we are his dearly loved children. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. Hmm. I think of Paul's words or Christ's words to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. His power, we can experience it in the midst of our apparent weakness. You say I am held when I'm falling short. Did he not say he would never leave us or forsake us? When I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours. And friends, we belong to Jesus. 
We've been bought with a price. We're his prized possession, his treasured possession. And I believe, and she has this great choir at this point who just sing the word I. It's really pretty. Oh, I believe, I. What you say of me, I. I believe. And she goes on and also has another killer line that says, and what matters most is what you say of me. Friends, that's a great example of a person speaking words of faith, or in her case, singing words of faith into her life. Yes, when she was struggling to think rightly about herself. Once again, I believe there's always a faith response to everything we face in life. Friends, when all is said and done, wouldn't it be wonderful to have Jesus say to you, oh, you had great faith. You had great faith. Or at the very least, your faith was growing. For most certainly, friends, and now I'm going to quote from Scripture again. We cannot please God apart from faith. Or said positively, it's what the ancients were commended for. That is faith. The people of the Old Testament, and most certainly the people of the New Testament, we are commended for our faith. Our relationship with God is a faith-based relationship. So I say, God being our helper, may we believe all that God has revealed about himself in creation, in his word, and in the person of Jesus Christ. And in turn, may we live out what he has revealed about himself from all those sources, so that we too may hear those words one day. You have great faith. Amen.